Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Self-Sufficiency Made Simple podcast, the show sharing easy, actionable tips and hacks to help you grow your own tasty food and become as self-sufficient as you choose. I'm your host, Joe Flintham, and I have over 20 years of backyard growing experience. Together, we will overcome the overwhelm of where to start and get you growing in the right direction. Self-sufficiency is all about doing what you can with what you have and enjoying tasty food produced by you. After all, nothing tastes as good as homegrown. Well, hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Self-Sufficiency Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Joe Flintham, and I am so excited for this episode. This is our very first interview episode. And so today I am joined by a beautiful eco-warrior from New Zealand, Rochelle Winter. Rochelle is the creator of TwoMuddyBoots.com, a blog site packed with information, passion and practical know-how. And when I reached out to her and asked if she'd be interested in being on the podcast, her response was, sure, but I don't really know what I have to offer. Talk about make me giggle because this lady is truly on a mission to change the world one person at a time, and she has so much to share. I know because we could have talked for hours and hours and not even scraped the sides. In this interview, you'll see that we go down some really cool rabbit holes together. We talk about some fun stuff, the gardening stuff, obviously. We also talk about some hard stuff and we touched on some home truths as well. I know that you're going to absolutely love the interview. So grab a cuppa or a wine if it's time appropriate. Sit back and enjoy the conversation. Well, I'm really excited today to have Rochelle Winter on as my very first guest on the Self-Sufficiency Made Simple podcast. So how we've come to be here is that I've been stalking Rochelle in a good way um, via Instagram and also on her blog site, twomuddyboots.com. Um, so I've been totally loving on all of the stuff that you do and, and um, I take a lot of inspiration from a lot of your articles and things that you share on your blog site and, and across Instagram as well. So, Rochelle, welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm really excited. We had a few little hiccups to start with. Um, yeah, Zoom, well, we thought Zoom wasn't playing the game. We worked out it was actually my microphone that had stucked everything up. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's how it goes. But we're finally on here and I'm really excited for that. So um, I suppose, yeah, listeners who are listening to the podcast would you like to share with them a little bit about um, about you and uh, where you're from and what you do in relation to uh, to gardening and self sufficiency? So um, I was brought up in the city and never had any kind of connection with gardening or the land or animals, but. Um, always really was interested in those sorts of things, um, definitely from a very early age. And um, and over the years, and as, as I was able to kind of change my life, um, I managed to buy myself a block of land and, um, and really sort of put into practice all the things I had learned over the years. Um, and, you know, a lot of it done by trial and error. Um, and just I just got in there and had a go and I tried to think that that it interested me over the years and I kind of found my way into um, growing food and with many mistakes and many hiccups along the way um, because there wasn't when I first started there was none of the, um, the you know the, the forums and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and things um, to kind of give me inspiration and and, um, and help along the way but um, yeah, a lot of hard work and um, just really, really, really wanted to be more connected to the land and where my food came from um, and wanted to be nourishing my family and I wanted some control over, you know, the types of things that were happening to our foods. Um, so I'm a nurse and I'm still a nurse and I work um, 
I work part-time and um, I'm sort of studying now to kind of change my career into that sort of avenue of growing food, um, regenerative agriculture, looking after our soils and and things like that. So a huge turnaround for me, um, finally able to translate what I love to do into something that will possibly pay the bills. So um, it's kind of been a long journey over the years of trying to figure that out. Um, And I think I'm probably in the right place at the right time now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really exciting too. I mean, you essentially you're going from helping and healing people to helping <laughs> healing land and the earth and the soil, which is, um, you know, that's what we're all about here. Um, yeah. so that's a really exciting journey. And, and I think too that you've, um, you've hit the nail on the head that, you know, right place, right time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with everything that's happened over the last 12 months, people are becoming more aware of, of um, not just their food security as to where they can get food and how they can access it, um, but through that process, they're becoming more aware of what's actually happening with their food and, and what happens to their food before it makes it to, you know, into their fridge or into their cupboards. So, yeah. Exactly. So was there a particular point for you, um, you know, you say that you're a city girl to start with and, and you know, you sort of just had that interest. Was there a, a, a pinnacle point for you that you sort of went, this is this is what I really love to do or was that sort of a gradual journey? I think there wasn't really any kind of specific point in my life that I remember kind of, um, you know, making a huge impact Um I, I, I will say that it was always in me. I was always very connected to nature. And um, I remember being eight years old. Eight seems to be kind of the magic number where lots of things changed. Um, so I remember we were away at a lake um, on holiday. And I remember sitting on the lake and I was by myself and I was looking out and I thought, one day I'm going to have a place like this, you know, in the country, in nature. And I was only eight years old when I when I had that sort of um, belief. And um, and then also eight, I remember digging my first vegetable garden. And um, I can't really say why I did it. I just got in there and got started. And um, so those are two two times in my life that I can kind of um, point to being really connected to to nature and growing things. But um, from an early age, I always felt very, very different, especially from my peers. You know, they were doing, um, you know, things like going out partying and I was doing workshops on, you know, making compost and, um, you know, all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, when I got my first sort of real, you know, job as, as, a, as a young teen, um, I joined a book club and bought books, as many books as I could. And, you know, it was books on like homeopathy and growing an orchard and raising chickens, you know. So, um, you know, by the time I was ready to put everything into practice, I was pretty well skilled um, in, you know, from a book point of view. Um, I just had to get in there and, and do the hard work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much been a part of me for as long as I can remember, really. Oh, fantastic. So really just, yeah, forms part of who you are as a, as, as a person, there was no, you know, one shift or apart from, you know, when you were eight. No, I don't totally get that too. I mean, I've always, um, I mean, I didn't grow up a city girl. I, I grew up sort of on the, on the coast and, you know, in the suburbs, um, but same things, my friends were off you know, sort of chasing boys and going to the beach and things like that, which, you know, I, I did go to the beach a bit and, you know, off riding horses and things like that. But, you know, I was always one that was curious about what was in the ground and I wanted to know about, you know, the worms and the bugs and, you know, why did that plant grow there like that but it didn't grow like that over, you know, in, in another spot two or three metres away. Um, and I was uh, thinking about that when you said eight, I, I was thinking I was probably around that when I that awareness really started to evolve. So, um, yeah, I think that um, eight's maybe where we we have those those shifts, which is really cool. So, what um, I suppose now that you've you've been on this journey and you've got um, you've got your your farm um, over in New Zealand. So, whereabouts are you? So, I am in North Canterbury. Um, so, about thirty minutes from the city, uh, from Christchurch. Um, and um, so 30 minutes north and um, I've got 17 acres here Um, and you know I bought it as a really derelict um, farm so it was pretty run down um, the house and the outbuildings and definitely the land 
but I saw potential and um, I have great dreams of, you know, um, of turning things around on this on this wee block. So um, it was a really, really amazing find for me. Oh, fantastic. And isn't it amazing that things show up exactly in our lives, you know, right at that point when we when we absolutely need it and then all of a sudden, ta-da, here it is out in front of us. Yeah, that's right. So what um what have you got going on um on your 17 acres at the moment? Have you got, you know, big veggie gardens in? Have you got a food forest going? What's what does that look like for you? So um I've got um I've got a big vegetable garden and um I put in 50 fruit trees and a lot of those were I'd been lugging around for years in big grow bags so they weren't brand new trees so um they've settled in really really well. Um I've got um the beginnings of a food forest is my my mission for for the next growing season is to get that I'll do all the hard work over the winter um and um hopefully have that up and running or the beginnings of it anyway up and running in the spring. Um I've got chickens and lots of chickens. <laughs> no, I'm not a crazy chicken lady. I just I just like chickens. Um so yeah, lots of different breeds that I'm I'm hoping to sell fertile eggs um from um in the future. So just building up my my um my breeding pairs and things. Um, I've got cows, um, both dairy and beef, although I'm not milking at the moment. Um, I have all my equipment, but I, I wasn't quite ready to take on everything plus milking, so I dried off the house cow. Um, I've got sheep and uh, for wool and meat. Um, I've got beehives. Yeah, and lots of you know uh, herbaceous borders and and uh, you know big um, herb gardens and things like that. So it's it's a work in progress, but it's all yeah all all weaved together and all coming together. And that's that's um that's so great that you've got all of these different elements, but you're also understanding that you don't have to and and can't possibly do everything all at the same time. So a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are people who either. Are just starting out um, in on their gardening journey or their self-sufficiency journey um, or love the idea of it but just don't know where to start. And that's something that that I'm a big advocate for is start where you are with what you have and just do one thing. You don't have to that's do right. everything. Um, and I know that we've spoken about this before, but, you know, when you get excited about a garden and you get the idea and you want to just race out, you want to buy all these seedlings and these seeds and you just want to dig a hole in the ground and stick them in and water it and magically you're going to have this amazing crop of food for forever, amen. Um, doesn't quite work like that, no, <laughs> as we know. Um, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it and it's around, you know, understanding your land and understanding what it can do for you but what you can do for it as well and it's a very symbiotic relationship where um, you you work together with the environment as opposed to um, against it. Um, so I love that you really highlighted that um, you know it's it's what you can do with what you have, and that it is a work in progress. It's never a a pinnacle of okay we get you know we we get to here and we go tick we've made it you know we are we are now brilliant self sufficient gardeners or or anything like that you know whatever label um, you know that that can get put on us. So it is about working through. Um, you know where you're at and what you want to achieve. So I want to, um, I, want, I suppose, I want to touch on your your bees because bees are something that I've only just gone into. I am so new at beekeeping, and every time I think I understand something, I, I do the research. I'm up there inspecting them. I'm going to different, um, you know, beekeeping clubs and and getting educated that way. And I think I get it. And every time I do, <laughs> something happens and I go, shit, I don't know anything about beekeeping. And it totally throws yep. me. So, yeah, share yeah. with me, I suppose, a little bit about your beekeeping journey. How long have you been doing that? Uh, it's probably about uh, six or seven years now. Um, I started off with um, a rented hive. So here in New Zealand, we have, um, you can rent a hive and they, they they basically put, the beekeepers put a hive on your, on your land, they care for it, and in exchange, you get a bit of honey. So um, that's kind of how it works. There's a little bit of money that changes hands, but it's not, it's not a lot. Um, and I had a particular beekeeper who I did not like very much at all. 
<laughs> it was very clear from the beginning that he was not actually that concerned about the bees. Um, it was more of um, an, an income for him, not not a passion. And it just didn't sit right with me. So um, I connected with a lady who was a local who was a beekeeper um, and she essentially took me under her wing and we took over the hive. We bought it off the guy, took over the hive, and she's kind of gone about teaching me over the last, you know, last six, seven years. Um, but even still, I mean, there's so many things that happen, like you said, that, you know, just throw you a curveball and you're like, oh, my God, I've never, never um, dealt with this before. What's going on? Um and, you know, it's becoming harder and harder to actually keep hives alive these days. And, you know, I've lost many, many hives over the years for so many different reasons. Um, and, you know, the, we're, we're in dire straits when it comes to the bees. Um, so if I, can, if I can help in any way with that, then I'm going to do that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm teaching myself. I'm being taught by her. I'm experimenting. You know, I'm doing all sorts of things. So. Um, I wouldn't be without them, actually. Uh, just I love having them around in the garden. And know, they're, they're the, right in the... I was going to say, yeah, they're, they're the coolest little insects, aren't they? I mean, I find yeah. myself often I'll just sit there next to the hive and just just watch them come and go and watch how they interact. And, you know, you've got the little the little guard bees that will do their little little bum dance, you know, little fuzzy dance um, at the door, letting the other bees know what go, what's going on. And um, yeah. it's such an, um, an evolved system, an evolved community. Um, and I think that, yeah, people that don't understand you know, how intricate they are and how sensitive they are as well. Like you said, you know, you've lost many hives. Um, I, I've, you know, we've had chalk brood here because it's been so humid um, and, you know, we, we've just had so much moisture um, in the hives and we've had, and it's not just me, it's, you know, a lot of long-term beekeepers here have had the same problem as well. So, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten any honey out of my hives this year whatsoever. Um, I've just left them, um, you know, to, to build up their stores and, and try and help them as much as they can overcome chalk brood. Um, but for me, uh, uh, very similar to yourself, is it wasn't about the honey. It's not about getting the, you know, the, the honey out and, and making money from that or even having it for myself. It's about actually having the bees and supporting the, um, the ecosystem and, and adding to the biodiversity um, of not just my garden, but the whole area, because, I mean, they travel up to about five kilometres, um, you know, in search of pollen. So by having one beehive, it can make such a huge difference. And it's, um, I, I love that, um, the, that you touched on the, um, the rental hives as well, because I've heard of that here in Australia too. And, and I think it might be happening, you know, in other places around the world as well. So, you know, if, if someone's out there and they think, oh, my goodness, like keeping bees is just way too much for me, I'm I'm not ready for that, I, I couldn't possibly do that, then potentially they could, you know, approach an organisation to say, hey, you know, we're happy for you to have a few hives on the property, like you said, in exchange for some honey or a very low payment or even just education or for the fun yeah, of it, you know, just, to, just to have them on the property. Yeah, and those beekeepers that are really are really passionate about bees, you know, um, it's just like a real passionate gardener. You know, gardeners love to share knowledge and they love to share um, produce and seeds and things. Uh, you know, a, a real passionate beekeeper is the same. They'll do anything to to teach you about the bees, um, to ensure that they're healthy, all those sorts of things. So, um, like you said, you know, just touch base with um, some of the beekeeping organisations. Um, and, you know, even though I had... A bad experience with my you know beekeeper who was renting the hives doesn't mean that everyone's like that um that was just one experience um and I know there are plenty of people out there who are doing it for the right reasons um but obviously with bees and and their their range of travel um you really do need to you know um touch base with someone and um, you know often they can put hives in specific places often they can't um, but you know there's there's plenty of people out there that will um, that will point you in the right direction anyway and it's a great way to to get interested in bees um, and to do your part um, to, to help the whole you know terrible situation that we find ourselves in with the bees today. Absolutely absolutely and I mean even for people that um, you know are thinking 
um, even on a, on a much smaller scale without the, um, the honeybees, is supporting native bees, you know, and yep. having those places within their garden, like leaving leaving the bark and the leaves that come off the trees, you know, around the tree. We don't have to clean up our gardens so they look like a, you know, an Instagram-ready photo. You know, that's no. that's part of ensuring that there's habitat for our native bees because they're big pollinators as well, not just our honeybees. And there's, you know, native wasps and there's, you know, spiders and, and native flies and things like that that all add to... Um, add to that fabric of, of pollinators that are so important as well so yeah that's right and you know and also touching on that that pollinator um topic you know just planting um a, you know a real diverse um selection of plants that are going to feed those pollinators and and you know invite them into your garden is really invaluable and it's not that difficult yeah totally Absolutely. And it's not just about the edibles either. I mean, there's, you know, lots of different companion plants and beautiful flowers that, you know, we get enjoyment from purely just, you know, from smelling them, looking at them and, and really just watching them grow that enjoyment of, of putting a seed in the ground and watching that germinate and go through a full life cycle of, of growing, flowering, and then going to, to set seed for the next generation. Um, there's something really special about that. Very special about that. So I suppose getting back onto, um, yeah, the, the gardening side of things, I'd love to know a bit about what sort of methods um, that you use. So do you um, subscribe to any particular method that you swear by or, or do you have a combination of different ways that you garden on your property? I'm, I'm pretty eclectic, really, and, um, you know, I use a lot of different techniques depending on what I'm growing, uh, where I'm growing it, uh, lots of different reasons, really. But I think probably if I was to choose one of my favourites, it would be actually in-ground um, for the reasons, even though it's a little bit more labour-intensive to set up, it actually is a lot easier in many ways as well. So, um when I'm talking about like the nutrients and um, the, the whole food web and, you know, the biology and the soil, it's right there where you're planting your plants. Um, you know, you've got better water holding capacity, so you're not having to water them as often. Whereas as opposed to if you've got things in pots, they dry out a lot quicker. Um, nutrients are used up a lot quicker. You have to keep topping them up. But in saying that, I mean, I've got many things in pots and, um, you know, typical things that I would have would be maybe um, peppers or capsicums, chilies, um, some tomatoes and, you know, a lot of my late season vegetables, I will put in pots, keep them outside until the weather starts to cool a little bit too much and then I'll pop them into the into the tunnel house. So, um, you know, there, there's lots of advantages to having pots and the fact that you can move them around. And you know, if you if you're limited on space, pots are great. Um, you know, little balcony gardens. I've had a balcony garden when I lived in the Middle East many years ago, and um, I grew everything in pots. You know, because I had no other option. Um, but yeah, yeah it's my grow it through a balcony, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, in ground is my favourite. I have raised beds, uh, which I, I are great for the weeding issues. You know, they're, they're so easy care. Um, and mine are on, on the actual soil, so they're not on a hard surface. So, you know, they can actually access all of that stuff deep down. Um, but, you know, raised beds are great. Um, you know, there's wicking beds, uh, which I know a lot of people are sort of experimenting with at the moment. Um, and they can be really handy for those sorts of people who keep forgetting to water their plants and <laughs> that sort of thing. Um but yeah, so I'm 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 really eclectic. You know, I've got a tunnel house. I, I use that as well um, to extend seasons or to start seasons off earlier. Um, and I plant in ground in the tunnel house. Um, and then obviously I have a few pots that I move in and out. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just a mixture of everything really. Which is so great because it really speaks to the fact that, yeah, there's no one one size or one method that fits all and there's no one thing that people have to subscribe to and say, well, this is the only way. Um, it right. really comes down to, yeah, what is, what is your preference? What is your situation? Uh, what is your location as well? Um, you know, we, we grew a lot of things in pots for a lot of years for the fact that, yeah, we could just move them around and it was easy for us. 
Um, yes. But in saying that, yeah, the the like you said, it, the water holding capacity just isn't there, and you have to stay on top of it because one warm day, and you know the the poor little plants look very sad by the end of the day if they haven't had a drink. Um, you know, and keeping on top of the nutrients, and then you know what type of nutrients you're putting in. But um, you know, it, it again, it does come down to that situation. I mean, if it's easy for someone to have a hydroponic system because that's what works for them. I was I was speaking to a lady. Um, in a um in another group that I was chatting to and you know she's got um a condo in the US and she said you know I, I miss having my garden I missed it so much that I decided to grow hydroponically inside she started out with one tower she now has six towers <laughs> she said my husband's banned me from doing any more hydroponic shopping she said but I love it because I can go and you know go like that they've got it set up in their spare room she goes in and she makes leafy greens she grows just about everything that she wants obviously you know, there are limitations there. You're not going to be growing sweet corn in a hydroponic system in a spare room, um, you know, but it does give her still the opportunity to still grow her own food and, and grow it organically. She knows exactly what's gone into it um, and and what comes out of it as well. So, yeah, really, really important. Yeah, I think you're right about not sort of um, feeling like you have to conform to one particular, one particular sort of avenue of gardening. And the thing is just to... Um, you know, in this day and age, there's all these perfect pictures of everybody's gardens around and, you know, everything's pristine and it's staged and you just think that is not reality. Like, you know, gardening is dirty, it's hard work, you know, it's disappointing more than it's actually rewarding. And, um, you know, like don't feel like you're a failure just because you don't, you know, you don't compare to those photographs because those photographs are not reality, you know. So gardening doesn't have to be, you know, um, staged or pristine or perfect or, you know, you can grow things in old paint pails if you had to, you know what I mean? Like you, you can do anything. You've just got to be resourceful. And, um, you know, like it's become such a huge money-making um, thing, this this gardening, because, you know, everyone's selling them the best raised garden beds and all these fancy bits and pieces. But you don't need those things. You just need dirt or hopefully soil, not dirt, um, soil and some seeds and some water and some sunshine. You know, like, you know, that's that's essentially the basics to get started. Um, exactly. A little so, bit of yeah, a little bit of determination and and um, some commitment to to the process, and away you go. Yeah, that's right. It's just one big experiment, and the thing is, you know, you learn by doing it. Um, someone can tell you, you know, all the ins and outs, but you will learn by doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And you never stop learning. You never get to a point where you think that's it. I've got it. You know, I, I understand this. I mean, I've been growing my own food, you know, in various forms for twenty odd years. Um, and I learned this year about growing melons. I don't, I've never liked melons. I've never really grown them because I, I never liked them. And I'm like, well, why am I going to grow something that I don't yeah. particularly like? I'm just going to grow it to give it away, which I, I mean, I share my produce with everyone. Every, every, everyone that visits us goes home with something. You know, I, I feel like I'm sort of like an old nonna or something that I'm like, here, eat, eat, take food, take food. But this year I thought, no, you know what, I, I need to branch out and um, my my kids like melons, my my granddaughter now, we've discovered, you know, she absolutely loves melons. So I thought, well, um, yeah, this year's a good year to uh, to give it a go. And, and you know, I did everything wrong. Um, you know, I did, I did my research and, and what they like and what they didn't like. And we got some yield and, and it wasn't brilliant. But, again, next year will be better and then the next year will be better after that as far as my learning goes, not necessarily the growing because, as you said, sometimes you can do everything right. You follow, you know, you, you follow the path, you use your knowledge, you get all this information and you put it into action and the whole thing just goes tits up. Um, and that's, that's just growing. And the same thing happens in nature though too. Sometimes, you know, a, a tree can, you know, set you know, set all these seeds, drop thousands of seeds everywhere. They get distributed everywhere and none of them take. That's just how that works. And it is a cyclic process. Um, and I think a, a big thing too is, yeah, not getting disheartened, as you said. I think a lot of, especially new growers, when they're so excited and something doesn't quite work out or, yeah, it doesn't look like Instagram. It doesn't look like what they think that it should look like. If anyone, like if, if I should do, I actually should do a video of, of my garden and, and, you know, where I'm growing on my farm because some of the weeds at the moment are that tall 
that they're reaching my thighs. Well, to give you an indication, we've we've had a red belly black snake living um, in our section, second section of, of our garden. And it was living in one of the grazed garden beds. We did a, a hugel culture um, raised mm. garden bed. So for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's that you're putting sticks and logs and, and leaf matter underneath your soil. And the idea is, is that it allows that to break down and, and that then adds more, um, adds more nutrients and structure to the soil on top. So instead of adding it to the top, you sort of put it in place that you're adding it to the bottom. Well, yeah, Cecil, as we've called him, Cecil, the red belly black snake, decided that that was a perfectly warm spot for him and he loved it. He got down in amongst those logs in the raised garden bed and um, he didn't bother us. You know, we went over there. If we saw him, he went down in his hole and he stayed down there. We did our thing and that was fine. Um, but now we're finding snake skins throughout the garden everywhere because we just haven't been over there to mow. It's been raining like crazy here, which is a beautiful thing. Definitely not complaining about that after last year. Um, you know, the rain um, has been great, but it just means we haven't been able to get a, a, a whippersnipper in there, a weed eater um, or a mower in there properly because we just get bogged. Um, but that means that we have a huge array of um, you know, animals and, and critters that are in the garden and the rabbits are, you know, have helped themselves to my lettuce and I've just allowed that that's, you know, I've accepted that that's going to be a thing and I'm not getting lettuce out of that bed. They can have it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not Instagram worthy. I mean, if anyone walked in and looked at that, they'd think this woman has no idea about growing food whatsoever. She's just thrown some stuff in and let everything overgrow. But, again, it's about working out what I need to do and, and what I can do um, in the time that I've got. And that's just not a priority for me at the moment to make that look totally pretty. The parts that need to be effective are effective and everything else is getting rested and overgrown. And that's, that's right. part of the process too. It is, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Now I wanted to ask you about, we're talking about the difference between dirt and soil. You mentioned, you know, all you need is a bit of dirt and then you said, well, hopefully it's soil. And I know that you're doing some education around, um, you know, learning about soil um, biodynamics and diversity in the soil web. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about, um, yeah, what sort of um, inspired you to do some more education around that and, and what that is in, in very simple terms. Um, I guess the motivation to really sort of explore those those avenues a bit more is because um, I was kind of getting really annoyed with the way that New Zealand's always portrayed as a, as a clean, green, you know, pristine country. Um, and it's just, it's an absolute cesspool of chemical toxins, you know, in reality. I mean, you can't swim in the rivers. Um, the beaches are, you know, often there's signs up saying, please don't swim in the water. Um, you know, we're so dependent on uh, inorganic fertilisers, which they're pouring on, you know, every every season, just truckloads, tonnes and tonnes and tonnes of the stuff going onto, onto the land. Um, and so I kind of wanted to understand the relationship between what we're doing and the effects that it's having um, on the environment. I mean, I see it in, you know, the lack of diversity now, the loss of, you know, um, insect species, um, the weed problems that we're having, uh, you know, the fact that we're more and more reliant on, on having to pour on those chemicals now because the soil is no longer able to sustain you know, growing anything. Um, so I, uh, I'm always learning. Like I'm, I, I've always got this huge desire to increase my knowledge about all sorts of things. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to TED talks, I'm watching documentaries, I'm reading all those sorts of things, and it certainly became apparent that um, you know we're destroying our soils um, with the methods that we we use to grow our food, essentially, whether it be vegetables or or animals um, and so I, I did a bit more research and uh, sort of began to understand the, the the relationship between you know the underground critters um, and what what their role is in nutrient cycling and all those sorts of things so I did a bit of research around New Zealand and there wasn't really a lot available um, in, in terms of study and that was flexible so um, I touched base with Nicole Masters, who's who's um, well known in New Zealand, you know, the 
for being in the soil sort of circles and she's off overseas and doing all sorts of things, um, exciting things overseas. Um, and she said to me that I should look at uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham because she did a lot of her study through um, Dr. Ingham. And so I started looking at what, what she's doing um, and it really resonated with me. It really sort of, it just seemed so simple. Um, the the the, the whole idea that, um, you know, we've wiped out the underground, you know, the, the biology and therefore um, we can no longer, plants can no longer sort of nutrient cycle, um, you know, to, to use the nutrients that are in the soil because the microbiology is not there to unlock it for them. Um, so, yeah, I signed up with the Soil Food Web School and um, I am studying with them. I've been with them for the last year. Uh, and I've started. I started with the foundation courses, uh, which was a real sort of a real wake up call in terms of I will never ever look at um, a handful of soil in the same way again. Um, and um, it was it, it sort of really opened my eyes to a lot of a lot of things. Um, and then the next part of the courses, um, doing a lot of the microscope work, so being able to actually identify what is or isn't in your in your soils and um, learning how to kind of um, rectify that through different methods. Um, so it's quite scientific. Uh, I never really thought that I would be sort of that way inclined, um, but I think it, it's really exciting the fact that you can show people the response to what you're doing. Um, so for me, it was like it made sense. And um, I just I just felt like I needed to get out and do something. I, you know, I, I things weren't changing fast enough for me. I wasn't really hearing these conversations about this, and um, I wondered why. You know, like why it just seems so simple. Why are we not kind of adopting these things? Um, why are we not looking at them? Uh, you know, in greater depth. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of wealth of knowledge and resources out there, and people who are actually doing this already and having some amazing results. So, I wanted to be part of that movement. Oh, that's wonderful! And so, do you think that it's a case of um, it's not so much maliciousness there, but it's that there's that un- uneducation um, or ignorant ignorance around what the alternatives are, and then they're not understanding. Um, what they're actually doing to their own land. So we're talking about, you know, the farmers that are using those chemicals. Do you think that's what's happening there? Well, I mean, I might sort of upset a few people by saying what I'm going to say, but I think, you know, um, in New Zealand we have a specific mindset. We're very, you know, we're, we're, we've got this mindset that it's always been done this way, therefore it will always be done this way. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, it's it's a very old way of thinking. Um and so I think probably the biggest hurdle is going to be getting over that mindset. Yes, there's ignorance. Yes, there's, um, you know, people just not wanting to see what's in front of them, not wanting to accept that this is what's happening because what can I do? You know, like, how can I change that? You know, it's out of my hands. But, you know, the thing is, we do have power as individuals and, uh, you know, we have the knowledge, we have the the expertise, we can we can change things, you know, we can stop buying the things and supporting those, you know, big agricultural kind of companies that are doing the worst damage to the environment. We can stop being believing everything we're told. You know, use your brain. Go and look, that just doesn't sound right. Go and do your research. There's plenty of stuff out there to kind of um, challenge those mindsets. Um, so it's it's a bit of everything. It's it's you know, it's mindset, it's ignorance. It's that sense of powerlessness that we have as individuals. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of reasons why I think we haven't really um, adopted these things or looked into them um, in, you know, in great depth. And then, of course, there's, you know, the money that's made from keeping things as they are and, you know, the big multi-corporates who are making a lot of money. Um you know, and, and just an example of that is my neighbour um, uh, told me that his, well, we've got, we got talking about things and, you know, he's a, a grain farmer and, of course, it's a monoculture uh, system. And I said to him, you know, you're really doing things wrong here. And uh, I said, when I finish my study, not to blow my own whistle or anything, when I finish my study, uh, you and I are going to have a really, really in-depth 
chat about things. And, um, and, and I said, how much was your fertilizer bill last year? And so he divulged to me that it was um, $66,000 on fertilizer last year. Now, I'm not sure how many acres he has, but um, he's not a huge farm, but he's definitely not, not small either. He's somewhere in between. And, um, and I said, well, you know, you probably just uh, wash 60% of that away into the waterways around us, you know, like with the first rain, that was all gone, you know. And, um, and with, with all that, adding all that fertiliser comes so many other problems to, you know, to the soil. And, um, and he's like, well, you know, it, it's worked for me up to this point and I said well you know there'll come a time when it will no longer work for you and I said and the reason you're reliant on that fertilizer is because your soil is dead you know there's nothing in it um so um he's agreed that you know later on maybe he'll give me a couple of acres to play with and show him <laughs> that'll be so exciting pressure is on but you know a lot of these people have to be shown um you can talk to them till you blow in the face but you know, when it comes to yields and money, that mm-hmm. that will get a farmer's attention. Are my yields going to go up? Am I going to make more money? You know, am I going to spend less money on inputs, less time on, you know, machinery, labour, blah, 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 blah. Um, so certainly, uh, you know, from what the Soil Food Web Scholar is saying, you know, a lot of those boxes would be ticked um, in terms of, you know, improving those things. So, um yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future, really, and I, I hope that um, you know I can I can sort of gain all this knowledge and without without being you know uh, like a, you know a know it all, um, just impart some of that knowledge or maybe start some conversations. You know, start that ripple effect, and maybe you know maybe get people to sort of look at things a little bit different, look outside the box. You know, that sort of thing. Um, that would be quite exciting, uh, and and I'm and I'm hopeful that that's you know once I've got that knowledge, I will be able to impart some of it to somebody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think um, yeah, starting those conversations. That's that's the, the the first part, isn't it? Is is opening opening that dialogue and having these very open and frank discussions rather than this, you know, people pleasing or you know not challenging the norm because you know yeah, big agra is making a lot of money and that's there's so many different elements and so many moving parts and it's not just in the agricultural food growing world either i mean it's pharmaceuticals it's you know other big corporate it it, you know it, it spans across so much but i think the first part is having those conversations and then the second part is actually taking that action so i think what you're doing there by even just approaching your neighbor having those conversations and then him being open to you you know, experimenting with a few acres, the mm. difference that you can make there by taking action and not just talking about it, talking about it's important and, you know, there's the education, but then actually getting getting your hands dirty and getting your boots in there, you know, you've as, as your blog site's called Too Muddy Boots, getting those Too Muddy Boots in there <laughs> and really um, showing what is possible. You don't know the ripple effect that you could potentially have. It's not just your neighbour, it's then his wider network as well i mean if they're his if they're seeing him have better yields or even even the same level of yield but saving money because he doesn't have to pump in a ton of fertilizer or you know pesticides and herbicides um that in itself you know is brilliant because the flow-on effect obviously whether they're doing it for the purposes of regeneration or not or they're doing it for the purposes of of not spreading chemicals around the countryside or not then it's still achieving, you know, uh, such a positive result there. So yeah, I'm quite, I think I'm, that's I'm, wonderful. I'm kind of hopeful that you know it may start as sort of a monetary thing in terms of okay, I'll be saving myself money, I'll be making more profits, and then once they hopefully begin to understand the relationship, you know, that they that between the plants and the soil and and what we do to it, um, that maybe you know I'm hopeful that they'll have more of an interest in what's happening to the environment. So it'll probably start as a monetary thing, you know, in terms of its business, you know, this is their business, their livelihood. Um, But I am hopeful that with time, they will 
it might change the way they see the, the natural world. You know, it's not necessarily something to absolutely um, control and manipulate, um, but something that you can work alongside with and still have great results. Absolutely. And then even bringing that back into um, the backyard gardener, Again, you know, if you go down, you know, we've got, I'm not going to name companies, but we've got, you know, a company here, the big green shed it's known as. And if you walk down um, their gardening aisle, it is chock-a-block full of chemicals. It's this one to kill this and this one to fertilise that and this one's going to target this. And it's so, um, well, A, for the new gardener or for an experienced gardener, it can be overwhelming. Um, But B, the amount of money that people then go and spend to put chemicals into their soil when really all they need is to understand a little bit more. They don't need to, you know, yeah, get into the scientific side of things, but just understand a little bit more about what happens in their soil and how they can keep a good, healthy soil supported. And just things like composting, composting their kitchen scraps, you know, doing a, if you're on some property, you know, and and once a year when the grass is growing, you know, mental like it is at our place at the moment, you know, do a a couple of hot compost piles and and develop that compost up ready for next spring to to add back into the soil and support it that way. And I mean, A, it's it's a no-way system and B, it's a no-cost system really you're not adding, um, you know, that extra expense to to growing your own food and you are getting then tasty organic food that hasn't been sprayed with crap, you know, and you're not, right. killing, you're not killing everything in your garden in the process. So, you know, whether you're looking at it from a micro scale of one pot on a veranda or you're looking mm-hmm. at it, you know, on a, on a massive scale where you've got, you know, hundreds or thousands of acres of, of monoculture crops, um, you know, the same principles apply, don't they? They do, they do. And just going back to that composting, you know, trying to sort of close the loop in your property. And and you can do that even on an urban section, you know, not having to bring in stuff. Um, so using what you have, growing what you what you can in terms of some good sources of carbon and things for your compost. Um, it's really, really doable to do a really good compost heap. Um, you know, totally. and unfortunately, unfortunately we've kind of um most of us will go and throw the scraps on top of the compost heap, you know, every night, take the take the scraps out to the compost heap and throw it on. Um, but, you know, if you if you follow the real, the, the right principles, um, you can have some real good quality um, compost made very, very simply. And, um, you know, you can get rid of your waste, you can feed your plants. Um, and I don't know if in Australia you have the same problems as we have here, but if you go and buy compost from, say, a landscaping company here, um, we've had multiple problems with um, them being having residual pesticides in them, which then kill your plants. Are you having the same problems in Australia? We've had similar issues, yeah, or things like, you know, there's parts of treated pallets and things like that that have been, yeah. you know, pulled out and, and you know, stories like that, yeah. Yeah, there's no guarantee, yeah, so there's no no regulation yeah. around what actually, no. um, you know, what, yeah, what actually forms that compost. So they, you know, a bag of black black soil, black, I'm using, you know, air quotes here, black soil or black dirt, and all of a sudden, you know, we think that we're buying this really good product for our, our soil when, in fact, we're not. We're doing the opposite. Yeah. So, you know, by by, by doing your own compost, you, you sort of take that, some of that control um, of what you are putting in your compost and what you're, you know, essentially putting on your soil. Absolutely. And that's something that I'm totally passionate about is compost. Um, I'm, I'm so passionate that, yeah, my friends are like, really, if you tell me this one more time, I'm, you know, <laughs> you're getting locked <laughs> over there. Stop talking about it. Um, so I'm putting, at the moment, I'm putting together my composting masterclass. And my focus for that masterclass is really, um, you know, to, to teach anyone who hasn't composted before how they can go about doing that in a suitable um, method for them. And that could be, anything from um, a compost bin that they make themselves out of some buckets to having a full three-bay system. We're going to touch on hot composting um, and we're going to talk a lot about that carbon to nitrogen ratio and how to actually process that properly. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's not just about throwing your slimy scraps on top and walking away every night. I mean, yeah, sure, that, that it does eventually break down, but you know, it's really not the, the best way to go about it. And for a little bit of upfront effort and a tiny bit of cost, really, you can do it for, well, really, you can do it for free. But, you know, if, if people yeah. are a bit time poor, you know, a little bit of cost upfront and a little bit of effort um, throughout the week, 
and you can have some yeah absolutely beautiful black gold soil that's just full of full of worms and nutrients and and um yeah it's it's wonderful yeah, a big, a big part of um, a big part of the study that I'm doing is all about um, composting and growing inoculants and um, compost teas and extracts and things. So um, it's it's really you know if you think composting is just throwing shit in a pile, it's so not it's so not that easy. <laughs> like there's so many things to consider, um, you know, and um, so many things that can go wrong in that composting process. So um, it's been really interesting learning all of that from a biological point of view and what happens under certain conditions and what changes in the biology in that in that compost um so yeah a huge part of my study is all about that sort of thing as well and um it's been really um eye-opening really yeah it's um it's it's a it's a whole world unto itself isn't it composting yep yep absolutely Wonderful. Well, it's been amazing speaking with you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on and, and sharing all your, your knowledge and your passion uh, with the listeners. So I have one last question just to wrap up, and, and that would be what is your ultimate environmental goal? So whether that's just on your farm, whether that's, you know, worldwide, what would you love to, what, what, would, what is the legacy that you would love to leave in the natural environment? Um, I think I would like to sort of see full-scale kind of restoration of a lot of the ecosystems that were damaged. Uh, and, you know, and with that, um, just adopting some of these really simple processes to correct it. And I think um, ideally, I mean, ultimately, I'd love to see our reliance on, you know, an organic fertilisers reduce you know, reduce or disappear completely. Um, and you know, I think I think that um, we just we all need to kind of wake up and uh, accept our our role in all of this. Um, to sort of see what's in front of us, uh, take the, the the blinkers off and the blinders off, and um, you know, actually see the problems for what they are and come up with some great innovative ways to, to deal with them. And I hope that, you know, my my greatest wish is that we can um, we can sort of halt climate change. Uh, we can set right some of the damage that we've done um, and, um, you know, hopefully leave the earth in a, in a sort of better state than what we've we've kind of inherited it or what we've, you know, in the state that we've we've made it be really yeah so it's just some small goals <laughs> just, just tiny goals you just know. tiny goals um, yeah you know I just think we just have to we have to wake up we have to see what the problems are accept that we've caused all of those problems and come up way with ways to kind of fix them um and ultimately put right what we've what we've damaged really um, so I, I want to see more of, you know, our natural world restored, more um, forest restored, more trees, our waterways in a better condition. You know, um, I mean, look at Australia, you know, how much of it is desert? I mean, and I'm sure that's increasing every year, you know, with, um, with you know, the droughts and, and, and the, the heat and, and everything, you know, like, Things are changing and really, really fast here in New Zealand. You know, we're we're going to lose our um, our coastal properties because you know climate change, mounting of the 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 ice caps and and rising of seawater. I mean, nobody's going to be untouched by it. Um, so I would all of us. Yeah, mm. it is in some way, shape, or form. It is, and um, so yeah, I just really want to see you know full scale restoration. <laughs> Like you said, I'm not aiming small, I'm aiming large. (laughs) Which I think um, is absolutely wonderful because you're not just sitting there having a wish, you're you're walking the walk. You're not just talking the talk, you are walking the walk. You are doing your part in what you can to to move towards that end that end result. Um, and I think that's that's a really important message for, for everyone is that if you feel really small and insignificant and, and that your little part won't make a difference, it absolutely does. No matter 
yeah. how how small the actions that you take. It could be so small in your mind that you think that it's not worth it, but really if we all just took the actions that we could take at any size that we can at any stage of our lives, the movement that we would make in turning around where our earth is at the moment and heading back into that, not just getting it back to a status quo where we can manage it, but that regenerative um, phase would be huge. It would be absolutely massive. So I think that's yeah. probably the biggest the biggest takeaway today for me is, you know, do do what you can with what you have where you are and and take action towards something that you want to see happen. Don't just talk about it. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, you can be frozen with despair if you look at the whole thing, you know, the whole the whole issue um, with the earth. If you look at everything that's wrong with it, you would just be frozen in despair. You know, how can I, I can't do anything. Like I can do nothing. But yeah. if you just focus on one thing and one thing that is within your right, within your reach um, it, and you you maybe make some changes in your lifestyle um, that have, a, you know, a wider impact. I mean, that's a start. Just start somewhere, you know. Um, grow your own food. You know, it's simple. Uh, you know, there's so many great things about growing your own food. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you can't grow, then buy local. Go, you know, check out your markets. Go and go and find someone that that grows organically and have a talk to the person that actually puts the seeds in the ground and and ask them about the journey of the food and, and how it's actually come to be sitting there ready for sale. So, you know, there's lots of lots of different things that people can do to, um, uh, yeah, to start taking action in the right direction. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm I'm hopeful. There's lots of people who are. There's been a real change in mindset. Um, I've noticed, especially through the younger generation too. You know, um, and I'm I'm hopeful that um, we will will have the manpower and and the desire and the skills and the education to turn this thing around. I mean, there's some great innovators out there. Um, you know, there's some some amazing role models. Uh, we just we just got to wake up and 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 pay attention. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Shift our focus and shift our priorities. And once we do those two things, then we can achieve anything, absolutely anything. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. So as I mentioned, I totally stalk you on Instagram and um, on your <laughs> blog site. So if you'd like to let the listeners know where they can jump onto your site and where they can find you. Um, so I'm at twomuddyboots.com is my blog site. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram um, under the same name, um, but with a Z instead of S after boots. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook as well. So Two Muddy Boots um, is my name on Facebook. Fantastic. And we'll put show notes, uh, put links to um, to your um, Instagram, Facebook and your blog site as well in the show notes so that people can jump on and stalk you just as much as what I do. Well, oh, fantastic. <laughs> you get lots of stalkers and I mean that in a good way, people. So, you know, if you hear the word stalker, I mean stalk Rochelle in a very, very sensible way, just reading her stuff and interacting on uh, on socials. But thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and I love the fact that you agreed to be my very first guest. Um, I've been really excited to, to chat to you and have this conversation and um, I've been taking some mental notes of a lot of things that you've said and, and you've inspired me to, um, to check a few extra things out as well. So thank you so much for, uh, for being on the Self-Sufficiency Made Simple podcast. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. We'll talk again soon. All right. See you later. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but I had a ton of fun doing the interview with Rochelle. Even afterwards, we ended up talking for quite some time and we just had a barrel of laughs. So I will put the links to Rochelle's blog and also Facebook and Instagram in the show notes. You can find that at www.sofarmlet.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, you can also connect with me um, at Facebook or Instagram using handle at SOHFarmlet. Sending you all growing vibes for the weekend. That is it for this week and I will see you all next Wednesday. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something that you can put into action in the garden this weekend. If you did, please share this podcast with anyone who is a budding garden nerd, just like us. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I would be forever grateful if you left me a review. 
I'll be giving a shout out next episode. Self-Sufficiency Made Simple is sponsored by So Farmlet, hobby farming with heart. Well, that's it for another week. So get growing because nothing tastes as good as homegrown. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.